Hello, and welcome to Tech in Maine Presents. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech in Maine Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking with Cedric Layton of Cedric Layton Associates, a unique strategic risk and leadership management consultancy. Cedric honed his analytical and leadership skills during a 26-year career as an intelligence officer, and Cedric has appeared on numerous TV networks and is now a CNN military analyst. Cedric, say hello to the Tech and Main Presents audience. Hey, it's great to be with you, Sean, and hi, everybody. It's great to be on this podcast. Well, Cedric, it is such an honor to have you, sir, and I'm really looking forward to the time that we'll share, and I'd love for you to kick off the podcast with telling our audience a little bit about your background. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, Sean, I uh, spent 26 years in the Air Force. I served as an intelligence officer during that time. I got to uh, go all around the world, uh, different different areas, you know, everything from the Far East to Europe to the Middle East, and uh, spent some time uh, working with uh, people in all kinds of different countries from all kinds of backgrounds. And I think the big thing that um, is part of that back is that I got an appreciation not only of different people and different cultures, but also of all of the different problems that can deal with from a risk management perspective. And so when I retired from the Air Force back in 2010, I had this idea of establishing a company that would work with people to help identify risk. And I ended up specializing in the cyber realm, but my risk portfolio really includes all kinds of different element risk. In some cases, you know, I find them to be overlapping in many respects, but uh, my intelligence background did a lot to prepare me for this world that we're finding ourselves in. What I wanted to convey to clients was the idea of actually helping people overcome risk, helping them think like an intelligent professional so that they can understand what the real costs and benefits are of, of certain things. So that's basically where I'm coming from when it comes to this. And I look at this as an extension of uh, a career that I've enjoyed thoroughly from start to finish. Can you tell our audience what has you most excited about your daily work? I think the idea of having a new challenge every day, just to take an example from the headlines that we're dealing with at the moment, a couple of months ago, three months ago, no was really talking about coronavirus or the fact that there were pandemics that were possible. So what that kind of shows is there's this great variety out. There's so many different things that we can deal with. I tend to focus on problems, I, not only from a leadership perspective and how one should confront uh, risks and one should deal with those risks, but I also look at what happened in the past. So I take a bit of a historical view on a lot of things. And with that, what I'm really doing is I'm trying to literally learn from the past and apply some of those lessons to the future. The act of doing that excites me every day. That is something where I, I'm very passionate about that. It is something that I can I like bring to the table in a way that makes me provide insights, that helps me provide insights in a way that uh, is understandable, I hope, and is also something that uh, can be built upon by people who are working with me that I get to interact with. Cedric, in light of the, the love of challenges, the new daily challenges that you get to experience, as it relates to cybersecurity, what would you say is the biggest challenge facing our nation as it relates to cybersecurity? There are so many challenges that one could pick from 
that whole panoply of challenges uh, that, that we're dealing with, Sean. But I would say the human factor beyond the technology, it's the human factor that becomes the biggest challenge that we're dealing with. And yes, there are very clear things that are out there in terms of actual threats and uh, you know everything ransomware to fileless attacks uh, to things of that nature but when it gets right down to it when you get right to the biggest challenge it's really educating people on what those challenges are and making sure that we develop either the right technologies to counter the specific threats that are out there or I actually making sure that we educate our workforces in a way that helps them understand what the threats are, recognize what the threats are, and can help them also deal with the threats as they exist. So that's one part of it. And the other thing is being able to anticipate what those threats are going to be. And that is, from a, a technical and a predictive intelligence point, probably the biggest thing that we have to deal with. There's the human factor of educating the workforce and educating, let's face it, the directors and, uh, and leadership in all kinds of organizations. Then there's the other part of making sure that we can understand what the trends are and try to get within the decision loop of the people that are acting against us, so, you know, hackers, whether they be employed by criminal gangs or by nation states, or in some cases, both at the same time. Those are the kinds of things that become really important, but there's such a huge human component to all of that. So I would rate that as the, the biggest cybersecurity challenge that America is facing right now. Cedric, given that human factor, that human component being the biggest challenge, what would you recommend as a solution for that challenge? There's a one specific solution for all of this, but in, in broad overarching terms. But I would say this, we have to be continuous in our education of each other, of ourselves, and of our workforce. When it comes to cybersecurity challenges, they are ever-evolving. And so this is where it becomes really important to understand the specific nature of each threat that we're dealing with, develop the kinds of mitigation strategies that uh, would work, and uh, not be afraid to try something that's new out there, uh, but also make sure that when it comes to these kinds of challenges, that we're bold enough to try things and also quick enough to act. You know, one of the worst things when you go back in the history of cyber events, one of the issues that you end up dealing with is complacency. And I think as part of the ability to confront any of these challenges is not only do we have to develop and always work on training programs and awareness programs, but we also have to make sure that we are not afraid to act and act decisively. One of the worst things that can happen is for people to be complacent about these threats. These threats don't go away. In fact, uh, you know, when you're talking about you know, the events that we're dealing with right now, there are within days of the coronavirus being a major issue in uh, the media, one of the big things that we ended up uh, seeing is that there are so many efforts to scam people into particular basic solution set type issues. So there, there are situations where there are maps out that purport to show where the latest uh, COVID-19 outbreaks are. In some cases, some of those maps actually, them, you're actually downloading malware. And that kind of a, a threat has to be recognized. And in some cases, you recognize those threats 
almost don't want to say intuitively, but virtue of the of the fact that okay, we have something going on here. Somebody is going to take advantage of that, and now we have to anticipate that somebody is going to use the COVID nineteen coronavirus epidemic or pandemic in a way that would uh, you know would would allow them to proliferate malware and that's precisely what we're seeing right now so as part of the solution set this awareness uh, and uh, coupled with a not only a robust training effort, but also this willingness to be decisive and to not be complacent becomes extremely, extremely important. I couldn't agree more. And um, it's interesting when you look at everything that's going on. So you can have all of the algorithms in the world. You can have the best machine learning. You can automate this, that, and the other, but it will always come down to the human element. Absolutely, Sean. And, and, you know, it's interesting because occasionally get to review the newest technologies that are out there. And it's very important, you know, definitely to keep abreast of what people are developing in the cybersecurity realm. But you also have to realize that some things that sound really good are sometimes too good to be true. And they require a lot of testing and, you know, a lot of understanding. And also the realization that they may work in certain situations, but not in others. And I think one of the things that the cybersecurity market suffers from is the proliferation of one-size-fits-all solution sets. And that is something that doesn't work in all cases. A one-size solution set is not going to work for every company. There's so many needs out there. And that's why the whole training piece is important, uh, why the human element is so important, both from a Workforce standpoint, but also from a management standpoint, is especially when it gets to be when you get to the procurement aspect, and that's that's why these things are are critical. I definitely echo that sentiment, and so want to get your opinion on how best to close the gap of open cybersecurity requisitions at companies of all sizes. And so, obviously, we hear about the statistics, and there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of open requisitions that are cybersecurity related. What do you think we can do to close that gap? You have to look at each specific case, but in general terms, firms are looking because they're looking for specific solution sets. In some cases, those solution sets don't exist in the right package they're expecting or the type of package that they're expecting. But I would say that, you know, number one, be creative in your approach to the cybersecurity problem set. Engage in experts. Uh, nobody is an expert on all things. You may want to stay in a Holiday Inn Express one night and you know, obtain whatever expertise you're looking for, but it goes beyond the Holiday Inn situation. And those ads are are great uh, comedic relief sometimes. But but what they you know, what they really know is that uh, people can be a false sense of security sometimes. So what I would do is make sure that I have technology that works as much as possible. Uh, check and recheck uh, what you're getting. Not only look at uh, what the vendor is saying, but also step back a bit and get as many independent experts as you possibly can to look at the product that you're thinking about buying and even the product lines that you already have. Also, don't be afraid to get the possibility of defense in depth. Now, Having said that, you know, there are going to be some people out there that are going to say, oh, that's outmoded or they, people have credited the defense in depth theory. So let me tell you what I mean by that. Sometimes there are overlapping solutions that are out there. 
but there's a requirement to use several different elements in developing a good cybersecurity posture. So I would first of all make sure that I have a good cybersecurity position strategy. And number one, I would review, you know, within that, I guess, subparagraph B, I guess I should say of that, is make sure that I continually reviewing strategy. So that's the first part. Then number two, once you've reviewed your strategy, make sure and realize that's not a static, you know, you do that periodically. Number two, make sure that what you buy, it conforms to that strategy and uh, you look and make sure that you have something that is truly effective. It's one thing to say, okay, I want to make sure that uh, you know I've got a perfect uh, seam system or that I've got some kind of uh, way to encrypt all my traffic. And that's great. But other factors like with encryption, is it slowing down the network? Are there things that uh, you get uh, in a better way uh, if you had uh, you know another system or bought something else? Make sure that things don't cancel each other out. Some things are more compatible with others, and some things are not that compatible. And uh, so you want to make sure that you have have something that works that way. And I would also look at, in addition to making sure that uh, you know you've got the requisite uh, firewalls, that uh, you know again old fashioned, but you know you've got as, as much advanced firewall technology that you possibly can have. But also make sure that in addition to that, looking at other things like authentication, make sure that you're updating all of the things that you need to look at and then never ever forget what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, and that is that human factor, you know, where you have to continually lean people. So as you develop a cybersecurity strategy to work the acquisition piece of everything that you want from a hardware software standpoint, you also want to make sure that uh, your workforce and that the executive suite are in sync when it comes to that cyber strategy, that you're actually implementing it, that it is workable, and that you get the kinds of results that you really want to get. If you don't do those things, then you risk overspending in cybersecurity. You know, some of the major banks are spending over billion dollars a year on cybersecurity alone. JP Morgan, for example, is in that category. And uh, America is, I think, pretty close to that as well. And uh, it's great to spend the money, but make sure that you're spending it the right stuff. And sometimes the solutions that you really need are not ones that you throw money at. It's more of a, sometimes a a bit of a softer, more efficient approach in some cases that may pay dividends. But each each system different, each company is different. Of course, each company culture is different. So you want to make sure that the technology works, that you can not only make the technology work, but the people are, and the technology is compatible with the people and and the body into what you're doing. So it, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff can't be directed from the top down, but it can be something that is uh, you know, done in a collaborative fashion uh, with all levels of the organization working together to achieve that goal, which is securing your networks and making sure those networks stay secure. I know there's um, a number of people that would certainly resonate with what you said because you're touching on the culture aspect of cybersecurity. And um, so it's not just the tools or even the automation that we had kind of mentioned a little bit earlier. It's also the mindset, the culture that you create. It all ties back to that that human element. Uh, you can't get away from it. Absolutely. Absolutely, Sean. And the human element, I think, is you know, because people 
I fall into that of, uh, you know, they get the vendor presentation and it's based on the technology and you know, how good the technology is and, and how it all, you know, fits in and whether or not it can integrate with what you already have. And these are all important factors and they should never be ignored. But if the people buy in, to what you're doing and uh, you know it's not compatible with the workflow in the organization then it's going to be a lot more difficult to effectively adopt uh, security solutions and it's also going to be a lot more difficult to actually realize that goal of achieving the kind of security that you want it's uh, it's not as obvious necessarily physical security at least not in the first instance but uh, it's very important uh, you know to get that buy in in order to achieve that real cybersecurity level that you want to achieve, because that's going to be important. I think it's pretty clear that a firm's reputation is going to be based on how well they can secure their networks. And of course, you know, people have, you know, getting back to challenges thing, and something that I probably should add to this is the idea that when you walk into an organization, let's say you're, you know, uh, CISO or, you know, some have a position like that, and you see all the networks that are within a particular organization, many of those networks are not necessarily compatible with each other. And that, of course, makes it even more difficult to achieve the cybersecurity nirvana that we're all looking for. But having said that, you definitely have to make an effort to work through those really significant problems and always remember that human factor in order to get that buy-in. Because if, you know, it doesn't help uh, the workflow and ends up not as a result of that, doesn't secure the network, then you've probably got more problems in some cases than you had when you started out with this whole effort. Well, Cedric, I think you've definitely put a nice full stop on that. And why don't we go ahead and pivot into some questions that are specific to Cedric? And we'll start with, what is your favorite musician or band? I kind of have eclectic music taste, but if I had to pick something, I would say Bob Seger. His music is really music that I've enjoyed throughout the years. I like a lot of classical music. I like uh, some R&B. I like music Soul Child. Uh, so I have a, a fairly eclectic taste, I guess. <laughs> but but uh, it, it, why is that? I guess I like different cultural influences. I encounter people. I want to learn something about them and also about uh, the cultural background they have. And uh, that's, uh, that's why I uh, you know, tend to gravitate to different forms of music. But those are the ones that come to mind you know, when, it, uh, when I look at, uh, at my playlist and, uh, and you know, reformulate that every now and then. I think that's great, Cedric. So yeah, Music Soul Child, Bob Seger, classical music, that variety is the spice of life. So uh, I think that definitely applies to um, your music taste. So Cedric, how about a favorite sports team? That's also interesting because um, I was born on the West, uh, but I grew up in the East. And so I tended to support the Oakland Raiders when they were there. And uh, it was, uh, of course, when they moved to Los Angeles, you know, there were some issues with that. But yeah, generally speaking, I like the Oakland Raiders. I also like the Baltimore Ravens. So I tend to focus, I guess, on the NFLs quite a bit. But yeah, I uh, I like both the Raiders and the Ravens because I see them as having a lot of a lot of grit, a lot of tenacity in terms of, you know, how they execute plays, how they do things. And yeah, I just, just kind of like the way they, uh, they do their work. How about a favorite vacation spot? 
there's so many. But one place that I really enjoyed and it's really off the beaten path is Bolivia. I uh, spent a little bit of time. I got to know a colleague uh, from the Bolivian Air Force uh, years ago, and he invited me down to spend time with his family and to travel the country. And I found that a really unique experience. I uh, spent uh, about three weeks, uh, one year, going down there and then traveling the the country. Uh, We ended up renting a Suzuki Samurai and uh, stuffed it for uh, his family and uh, yours truly and our luggage. And uh, we drove from La Paz, Bolivia, to Cochabamba, down to Potosi, and then over to Sucre, and um, then back up to La Paz. And uh, it was very neat way to look at uh, look at that country's culture. We also hiked a portion of the Inca Trail, which is uh, it's called the Takesi. The portion we walked was called the Takesi Trail. And uh, it uh, starts outside of La Paz and then goes through three different climatic zones uh, within basically a couple of days of, of hiking. And um, got to spend the nights in uh, in local schools uh, that were you know, closed for We were there during New Year's and we got to spend the night during in these closed schools where the local people were doing their New Year's dances and we, you know, we were there festivities, ate trout from the local, caught in the local streams, uh, you know, and uh, then experienced uh, temperatures from starting out with, you know, somewhere around the 60s to uh, back down to the 30s and 20s. And then when we went down on the other side of the pass, mountain pass, it was uh, temperatures uh, that hit the 70s and 80s by the time we got to our destination on the other side. And it was a very, very interesting time and uh, taught me a lot, not only about their culture, but uh, that country and about a wonderful group of people. And so that, I guess, would be my favorite vacation spot. That sounds like one of the most epic vacation spots ever. Cedric, how about one person that you're following that you find to be innovative? As far as really innovative people, that's one of the one of the toughest things to look at. But I would say Bill Gates is certainly in that category. And uh, you know, so, if I'm picking one person, I would say it's him. When he was alive, I've also said uh, Steve Jobs. I know they they were rivals, but uh, I think the way in which um, they were able to. I guess, make something out of nothing and uh, create uh, not only companies, but uh, part of our way of life was, I think, so important. And it's such they executed such fundamental change that uh, we're still dealing with the things that these people developed in the, you know, in the 80s and 90s and, uh, you know, through the 2000s. And that... Um, at least for our present time, shows you know how important these folks uh, really were to our culture and obviously to the business world, but also to every aspect of, of our daily lives. So I would pick those two individuals as exercising the most influence on me, uh, you know, in the, in the present uh, time. I think those are um, two great examples: Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. I will say I love what. Bill and his wife, Melinda, are doing this kind of their second act with their foundation and the health initiatives and different things that um, they're involving themselves with. I think that's phenomenal and uh, very proud of the passion that they have towards helping eradicate things like polio and things that we here in the West have forgotten even exist. They are looking to drive those things completely out of existence. And um, I think that's great. 
Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's, it's that ability to come out of a particular area like the business world and you know, creating a company and then doing something good and big that has impact on so many people. And you said it so well, we forget about a lot of these diseases and when we shouldn't. And I guess uh, you know, coronavirus is a reminder that we are all susceptible to something and we might as well help many people as we possibly can not fall victim to, to something like this. Agreed, sir. Very much agreed. Cedric, the last question before we wrap things up would be, what teacher had the most influence on young Cedric growing up? And that could be from your elementary school time or from the time spent in college. There are so many, and uh, you know, at the risk of uh, not recognizing some very important teachers, I would say a second grade teacher that I had, Mrs. Chudy, was a, a phenomenal influence on me. And uh, you know, it was she was one of those people that could make everything interesting. And uh, you know, for a second grader to uh, get an interest, you know, whether it was uh, literature or math or history or science, uh, Mrs. Chudy was the one to actually open up a lot of doors and. In college, um, there were several teachers, uh, but uh, L. Pierce Williams uh, was a history teacher at Cornell and uh, was uh, the Western civilization teacher that I had. He was an excellent professor. Unfortunately, he's passed on. He did a phenomenal job uh, explaining why World War One was so important. Uh, his view: uh, World War One represented the death of Western civilization, and uh, he did a magnificent job. I think his point of view. I don't necessarily agree with it at this stage, but uh, nonetheless, it opened my eyes to how important the big events really are in history, and uh, you know what we do with them what we do as a result of those events becomes uh, really critical not only for our personal lives, but also is, you know, our society uh, at large. And, uh, you know, it's our ability to leap out through events like World War I, World War II, or a pandemic like we're currently experiencing. That defines who we are as a people. I think that is a wonderful, wonderful sentiment. And I'm so glad that you have um, those teachers and educators to be able to to look back on and uh, draw inspiration from. And so, Cedric, we have come to the end of our time, sir. And I want to ask before we let you go, what's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Sure. There's several ways. You can follow me on Twitter at Cedric Layton is my Twitter handle. So that's S-C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-D-I-G-H-T-O-N. I, and, you know, they can, uh, they can follow me there. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I, and, uh, you know, using the same name. And, uh, of course, I'm, I can also be reached uh, through my websites. I, I have a website, CedricLayton.com, and people can leave messages there if they'd like as well. Great. And of course, we'll be sure to put all of that in the show notes. And Cedric, I cannot thank you enough for taking time to be with us. This has been a fantastic episode. And of course, we want to thank our listening audience. Tech and Main Presents family, thanks as always for being with us. And be sure to tune in next time when we'll have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to Tech and Main Presents. Be sure to check back regularly for the next episode and tell your friends. Thank you.